You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you this. Ever heard this question being asked, what's the worst that could happen? Ever heard somebody ask that question? What's the worst that could happen? It's often said by somebody who is maybe trying to help another person overcome their anxiety about a course of action or a decision that needs to be made. They help them maybe get up their nerve to do something that they're not so sure is a good idea. So somebody will come along and say, oh, come on, it'll be great, it'll be great, just do this, this. And after all, what's the worst that could happen? Well, it's a line that a friend of mine used one time when he was trying to talk somebody else into parasailing. Now, you know what parasailing is, right? It's this foolish activity where a person puts on a giant parachute, they get attached to the back of a motorboat, and the boat speeds across the lake, and the person, somehow or other, the, the, the parachute fills with air, and it lifts the person up in the air, and you just, you kind of, the idea is you just float around up in the air, up behind this boat, and you can see all the sights. How many of you have tried parasailing, just to see how many? There's a one, or two, three, insane, four insane people in this room. Okay, we're still family. I think you're weird, but you're still family. One of them is my wife, by the way. So there's this guy, and he's like, he's like, you know, he, he kind of wants to do it, but you, you've all been there, right? You kind of want to do this, but you're scared. And you're just like, I don't know, this is a good idea. And so my friends tell him, hey, listen, listen, it, it's real simple. You get on this harness, it's nice and snug, and then all you're going to do, you just, you just go up in the air, you just float around up in the air. It's, it's really, really fun. And then, and then you, you come back down, and, and besides, like, even if you come down, it's just water underneath you. So, I mean, like, what's the worst that could happen? Well... The worst did happen. He got up there in the air. Well, not the worst happened, but like it didn't go good. What happened is he got up in the air and the, the apparatus that connects the parachute cords to the boats malfunctioned and came apart. It's no problem, right? It's just water underneath you. If anything goes bad, no, no. But the wind caught his parachute and carried him away from the lake over into the forest. And he comes down, dude comes down, and his chute gets tangled in a tree. He's, it's like right out of the cartoons. He's dangling from a tree. The fire department had, had to come and take him down. And I'm sure the whole time he's up there, feet swinging in the air, he's got that question going through his mind. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Moral to the story, sometimes we've got good reason to be anxious. Sometimes we've got good reason. The reality is that we live in a world where there's lots of reasonable, rational uh, reasons to be anxious, if not worried, if not fearful. Our world has got all kinds of problems, and you and I wade through them every day and face them every day. There's lots of relational volatility, social instability, health vulnerability, financial insecurity, and all kinds of uncertainties. There's lots around us to make us fearful understandably about the future, even right in your own life. Some of you right here today are, are anxious about the realities of dealing with aging parents or of loving kids at any stage of their life. Maybe you're in the midst of marital confusion or you just don't know, you don't know how you're going to find that job that you need. And the list goes on and on. The point is it's not hard to find things to worry about. Worry 
And anxiety is something we meet, we face regularly. What's the worst that could happen? We shudder to think of what it could be. But did you know that God does not want his children to be anxious? He doesn't want you to be fearful. He doesn't want you to be worried. In fact, God wants you to experience his peace. That's what he wants for you. The peace of God that we read about in Scripture and we'll see in our text today is not some kind of tranquil indifference to life's problems, nor is it some kind of escape from reality. Sometimes we think that's peace, right? Peace is just not feeling anything. No, that's not peace. That's not the peace of God. No, it's, it's, it's the, the assurance that comes and the, the confidence that we have when we know that God is God and God is good and God is able and God is faithful. It's a peace that we have when we know him that comes from him in which we can experience calm in the midst of chaos. We can experience peace in the middle of the storm. We can find relief from our anxieties. That sounds really good, doesn't it? But is it even possible? And assuming the preacher is going to say it is, then how is it possible? How can I find that peace? I, I would love that peace. I want that peace. I, I want to believe that it actually is there for the taking for me. Even today, I, I want that. How, how would I get that, though? Well, this is what our passage today addresses. It assures us that not only can we experience peace from God, but also tells us how we can lay hold of it. And I want you to see it for yourself. It's in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. That's our scripture text today, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. And we're in our teaching series called To Live is Christ. We're just working our way through the book of Philippians, uh, and we're actually getting nearer to the end. But in this fourth chapter here, we see, I mean, really the whole book is really practical. But we see in chapter 4 some, some really specific pastorally practical issues that Paul addresses to the Philippians. And in this, in this uh, paragraph, he's talking about anxiety and worry. You know, when Paul wrote to the Philippian church, they had plenty to be worried about. Lots of reasons to be anxious. Remember chapter 1, Paul spoke of the fact that they were facing external opposition. They were facing persecution from the outside. Paul himself was in prison external opposition. Then you get into chapter 2, and he writes a lot about unity, addressing the problem of internal dissension, people not getting along inside the church. So there's reasons to be anxious about what's going on outside. Then you show up at church on Sunday, like, oh yeah, and there's reasons to be anxious here because there's some friction here. And then remember, we read about Yodia and Syntyche and a very public dispute, and it's a cause for anxiety. Chapter 3, he talks about doctrinal heresy and the doctrinal confusion that was around these false teachers teaching things that are not true, skewing the gospel. It's a real source of anxiety for faithful Christians about how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to persevere through this? The reality is that when Paul wrote to the Philippi, he knew that they had lots to be anxious about. They were anxious about him being in prison. They had plenty to be worried about, and Paul did too. But right here in this paragraph that we're about to read, he tells us, first of all, don't be anxious and then tells us how we can overcome anxiety as Christians. Let's look and see what he says. Chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Just a note here, worship is a great response to anxiety. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, that could be understood in two different ways. 
the Lord is at hand. It could mean it be a reminder that the Lord is near to us, which Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it's true. He is, he is near to us. The Lord is at hand. Could also be a reference to the fact that he's coming again soon. Like his return is imminent. Like any time now, he could return. So we live in anticipation of that. Either could be what Paul means. The Lord is at hand. Now notice, verse 6, here's our, our exhortation. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God of peace, which, sorry, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's three parts to my sermon. First part this morning is to identify the fact that there is a problem to overcome. And then we'll see, secondly, the plan for overcoming it. And then thirdly, we'll see that there is a promise that we can count on. A promise that we can count on. So there's a problem, there's a plan for overcoming the problem, and there's a promise that we can count on, that we can anticipate. Let's start with the problem. There is a problem to overcome, and in this text, it is anxiety. There's a problem, and anxiety is its name. Worry, fear, anxiety. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, to, to be anxious here has in view especially a, a fear of the future, of, of what will happen, what might happen, what might not happen, uh, of what people will or won't do, what people will or won't say. A, a feeling of fear, of uneasiness, of worry that can range from anything from nervousness to all-out panic. And for some people, this whole issue of anxiety is an intermittent, intermittent, intermittent issue. It happens from time to time. It's like you can, go, you can go periods of time where you're not generally anxious. It's not like you have no cares in the world, but you're managing, you're coping fine and, and getting through okay. But from time to time, you can encounter bouts of anxiety when, when things go wrong, when circumstances arise, when, when trouble arises in your family. You know what it is to be anxious intermittently from time to time. That's the case for many people. In fact, I would say probably most of us here know something of that from time to time in our lives. For some people, though, uh, anxiety is a regular thing. It's a relentless thing. It's not intermittent. It's a battle that they face every day. And sometimes you're in a season where you feel like it's every moment of every day. It's frequent. It's daily. It's constant. And, and anxieties, whether they are intermittent or constant, can be from all kinds of situations that we face in all kinds of circumstances. It could have to do with stuff going on at school, at work, at home, in your neighborhood, anywhere. Anywhere, in your relationships. Uh, there, there's also times in which our anxieties are, you know, we, we can't really connect them to anything in particular. Like we're anxious and we have that worried feeling, that, that tension in our hearts. But if somebody said, what, what are you fearful about? What are you anxious about? We struggle sometimes maybe to say what it is. The counselors call it free-floating anxiety. And maybe you know what that's like in your life, where it gets to a point where sometimes you're just anxious about being anxious. And if that's something that you experience, you should know that's not at all uncommon. 
you are definitely not the only one that knows that. And I guarantee you, you're not the only one in this room that knows that. It's probably actually more common than you realize, that anxiety that just seems so constant and always there. Now, Paul here speaks of anxiety in this context as an absence of the peace of God. It's a kind of, a kind of uh, uh, lacking a contentment and a comfort that comes from knowing Jesus. We, there is contentment, there is comfort in knowing Jesus, but when we're anxious, we don't feel that. It's absent, it's missing. And Paul's exhortation here is, hey, listen, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever the situation, whatever looms ahead, whatever fear it is you face, don't allow your anxieties to overcome you, to overwhelm you. Do not, he says, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now, right about this point in the message, you probably hate the Apostle Paul. Because you're just like, yeah, because don't you hate it when you're anxious about something? People say, just don't worry about it. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, thanks. Hadn't thought of that, trying not to worry about it. Glad I got you to help me to think, oh, maybe I should just not worry about it. And then you refrain from saying all kinds of spiteful things that you'd be totally justified in saying in the moment when you're facing a crisis, you're anxious, someone says, just don't worry. Now, I want you to notice before you really hate on the Apostle Paul, that's not all he says. He says, don't be anxious. And then he tells us what to do instead. But I do want to acknowledge with you that right now that it's, I think, a clarification that there's some kinds of anxieties that aren't bad. Anxiety isn't always a bad thing. And all God's people said, huh? Because it says right here, do not be anxious about anything. Well, I guess it depends, though, on what you mean by anxious. And what I mean is that Paul uses the same Greek word earlier in the book in a positive light. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, he talked about Timothy having concern for the welfare of others. If you look at chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have no one like him, talk about Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's the same word. Now, in a different context, we, context, we can tell that the, the meaning isn't exactly the same. It's used in a different way. But it's a reminder to me that there is a kind of anxiety that is, is really a positive thing when it's it's not an anxiousness that overwhelms me, but it's a concern that's born out of care and out of love for others. I mean, after all, the great commandment is that we would love God and love our neighbor as yourselves. If you are unconcerned about the people around you, that's not a good thing. So I'm not going to say that you know, anxiousness that Paul talks about in verse 6 is positive, but I want to highlight for you that we're not talking about being carefree and footloose. We're, we, we ought to be concerned for others. Even Epaphroditus in chapter 2 was distressed for his home church. He was distressed because they had heard that he was sick, and they had sent him out on this long journey on which he got sick, and he was distressed for them, concerned about, worried about what they might be thinking, worried about him when he's fine, and that's why he ended up going back and carrying with him the book of Philippians to his Philippian church. He was distressed. So what I'm saying is that when, when your anxiousness is a concern that is others-oriented, that, that's not a bad thing. Also, anxiety can be positive when it, is, when it helps us to exercise good and wise caution. For example, in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul doesn't use this word here, but there sure is a call to beware and be cautious. When he says, look out for the dogs, not talking about your house pet, but about false teachers. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Talk about these people. They're, they're skewing the gospel. And Paul says, look out. Look out. So there, there's a kind of that might sometimes feel like some anxiety that I think there's some wisdom in, some goodness in when it makes us be caution. It's just like if, if you've maybe got some accountability software on your kids' devices, which I would just say as an aside is a really wise thing to do. And you get an alert that there's something, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something they've done bad, but there's something to look into, something to check on. Or the warning light comes on the dash, you know, warning you, there, there might be a problem here with your car. Yeah, it could be a faulty, uh, a faulty notice, but there might be an issue. It's caution, it's warning. When it makes us cautious and makes us careful, that's not a bad thing. Anxiety isn't always a bad thing, but anxiety needs to be addressed when it consumes our thoughts. Like when it moves in and sets up camp and takes over, then we need to address it. When it puts us in mental anguish and distracts us from our purpose, you got to address that. We need to address, anxiety needs to be addressed when it saps our joy. When it keeps us from rejoicing in Jesus, when, when my worries and my anxieties are so great that it cuts into my affections for Christ, i got to deal with those anxieties. Anxiety needs to be addressed too when it causes friction and fighting with others. Have you noticed sometimes when you're really anxious, you're a little more snappy than you'd normally be? Like not, not like snappy dresser, but I mean snapping at people like, Gah! right? When you're anxious sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's not most of you. I find that when I'm anxious, I'm less, I have a less pleasant demeanor. And I, right, so somebody will say something, and I would just be over the edge all of a sudden, and the people around me are just like, what's up with you? Well, what's up with me is I got anxieties that are eating me up and, and consuming my emotional margins, and it makes me miserable. That, you got to deal with that anxiety. Anxiety needs to be addressed when it keeps us from doing what God calls us to do. From caring for your family, to going to work, to serving in ministry to making good, wise plans, to being creative, using the creative talents that God gives you, when it keeps us from evangelizing, when it keeps us from doing the things that God calls us to do, we've got to address it. It's a problem. There's a problem to be overcome, anxiety. Well, that leads us to the question, though, how? How do you overcome anxiety? I mean, it's not enough just to be told, don't worry about it. Because worrying happens. You don't have to try to worry. I, worry to me is just as easy as falling out of bed. All I got to do is roll over and it happens. It just, I never asked to be worried. It just happens to me. So how do I overcome something that just comes on me and happens to me? Well, that's what Paul addresses here in our text in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, don't hate him, don't hate him. Look and see what he says next. But in everything, here's a plan, a plan for overcoming but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, there's a plan for overcoming our problem, and the plan, Paul says, is prayer. Prayer. We deal with our anxieties by taking our anxieties to God in prayer. That's the plan. That's the plan. Notice he says to do it in everything. In other words, in every situation. In every circumstance, if it's anxiety has to do with your family, with your friends, with your future, with your faith, you're just anxious about you, maybe. Being ready, being able, afraid of failing, 
or others around you, or for students, you're getting ready for exams, right? Some of you, if you've got a stressed out student sitting beside you, it's because they got exams staring them down, and, and it's coming, hot and heavy, and you're going to go through it, and it can be an anxious time. Now, the reality is, is that, that when we think about this everything thing, uh, uh, some, of us, some of us can get really down on ourselves in an unhelpful way. I mean, sometimes some of you beat yourself up because you're so sure that, I mean, if I said what it is that I was anxious about, others would just see it as really silly and small. And you kind of stand back and you're like, you know, compared to others' problems, this really isn't that big of a deal. But you can't help but being anxious about it. And I would just, just say to you, I mean, if you're anxious for any reason, the call here, Paul says, in everything. Yeah, but surely not when it's a small, piddly little thing. Well, I don't know. My Bible says in everything. Does yours say something like that too? So everything means in everything. So in everything... By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, there's no problem too small to take it to your Father in heaven. And actually, I would say probably if it's big enough in your life to cause you anxiety, then it's big. Even if someone who doesn't really know you very well, the whole situation very well, may say it's small, don't beat yourself up about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to Him. Some of us feel guilty because we feel like I'm maybe sinful because I'm worrying or I'm anxious. And so we, we strangely, strangely, instead of drawing near to God, we withdraw from God, feeling ashamed. But Paul says, in everything, in everything. So don't, don't sit there feeling guilty. Go to the Lord with it. Lord, it's doing this to me. He already knows, by the way, too. Like, he won't be shocked when you say, God, I'm really anxious about this. <gasps> what? What? I know, you? I, oh, I'm taking your gold star off your chart. Is that what God's going to do? He knows. Paul says, in everything, sometimes we feel ashamed. We feel ashamed because we, we sort of trace through, why am I anxious? Why am I worried? And we realize that our anxieties are sometimes because we're in a mess of our own making. We knew better. We were told not to do it. We did it anyway. And now we're in a mess of our own making. And we feel ashamed about that. And again, oftentimes, church-going Christians, just like you and me, we get ourselves into a mess of our own making, and we feel like we can't take that to God in prayer. But Paul says, just seeing if it's changed or not. Nope, still there. In everything. In everything. So, if it's in anything, then take it to him. He says, by prayer, by prayer. Prayer is talking to God. That's what it is. It's talking to God. And you can talk to him out loud, just like I'm talking to you. You can also talk to him quietly without making any sounds at all. M many of you, this is probably the bulk of your praying. The, the most of your praying is actually quietly in your own mind because you know that God knows your thoughts. And those quiet, silent prayers are every bit as effective as those out loud prayers in different ways. Maybe that prayer, that by prayer, can be something you do alone. It can be something you do with others. It can be something you do anywhere, in your car, on the bus, in the kitchen, even in the bathroom, wherever it is, you can pray. In the night, in the morning, at noon, long prayers, short prayers. By prayer here, it's just a general word that speaks of talking to God. Talk to him about it. Tell him about it. Have you told him about it? You say, well, doesn't he already know? Yes, but he says, in everything, by prayer and petitions, let your requests be made known to God. He wants you to talk to him. 
It's a means by which you address anxiety. It's the plan for overcoming it. How do I overcome this? How do I get this anxiety under control in my life? Paul says, pray. Pray. He also uses this word supplication. Some of your Bibles say petitions. My, my Bible says supplication. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Sounds like dinner or something, doesn't it? Supplication. It just means asking. Asking. You know how to ask for things, don't you? Well, some of you aren't very good at it because you think you can all do it all, but you're all independent, is what you are. So I can do it myself. I don't need your help. God, I've got all these concerns and fears, but I like being miserable. I like carrying the weight all on my own. Yeah, you are big and powerful and wise and ready to help me, but God, I would rather spin into a deep, dark hole than to bring it to you in prayer. Right? Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? I know lots of you aren't, but there's a few of us in this room. We can identify with that. You know how to ask when you can't reach for something? Can you help me reach that? Or when you're on an airplane and somebody's got one of those big oversized suitcases and they're trying to jam it in the overhead compartment and like everything in your body just wants to say, it's not going to fit. It won't fit in there. They've asked us nine times to stow your big bags onto the plane. We're all waiting. It's not going in. Glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> Can you help me? Can you help me? You know how to ask for money, for birthday gift. For directions, some of you. You know, I ask for things, don't you? It's asking, supplication, petition, asking. For some, it's, Father, help me. Father, come to me. Let me know that you're here. I need that. Lord, I need you to fix this. I need a breakthrough. What is it that you need? What is it that you need? What would relieve your anxiety? Ask him. By prayer, talking to him. Specifically, supplication, asking him. And notice, too, it's with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. But in everything, verse 6, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Notice, with thanksgiving. Is there something like that in your Bible? With thank- why, why does he put that in there? Well, I think it's important because it speaks to the attitude that we have in our hearts, an attitude of gratitude. When I'm thankful to God, first of all, I'm acknowledging that he has answered my prayers in the past, and he's done good things for me and to me already. Giving him thanks. You want to give thanksgiving, I take stock of some of the things that God has done, ways in which he has worked already. And in the process of thanking God, It refreshes my faith in God because I go back and review the things he's already done. See, our problem sometimes is we've got short memories. They're good, but they're short, right? And we forget things. We forget that, you know, I cried out to God for a breakthrough, uh, you know, two months ago on a Tuesday. And lo and behold, he's worked and and he's he's delivered. He's he's worked things out, maybe not in a way that I would envision, but he's acted, he's responded. Or there's been other times in your life when you've gone to God, or maybe even God has just worked in ways that... You didn't even ask for it, but he just came and you see it. When we thank God, it refreshes our faith in him, that he is able, that he is good, that he hears and answers prayer. And it also helps with our humble hearts to be humble, because when we're thankful to him, we're acknowledging, you know, I'm not deserving, but the things that you've done for me are a huge kindness. With thanksgiving, there's a plan. You got anxieties? It's a problem. 
But there's a plan for overcoming that problem. It's called prayer. Talking to God. The problem to overcome anxiety. Plan for overcoming prayer. Now this leads us to address, I think, a really, a really common question that rises up in us. It's actually, it's actually as much of an objection as it is a question. And it's not one that we really say out loud a lot, at least not around church or in small group. But it's a question, question that we ask ourselves, that we raise when you hear somebody say to pray. You got anxieties? Pray about it. What's the question? It's this. What good will that do? What good will that do? You know how many times that in my life somebody has said, you need to pray about that, and the quiet, quiet little question down in my heart is, what good is that going to do? Have you ever asked that question? Most of you probably never have, but a few of us have. It's a question that we have in our hearts, and it's almost like Paul sees it coming. It's almost like he's just like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm here writing this letter, I am telling you that in the face of your anxieties, how you overcome it is by prayer. And some of you are going to ask that question, although you may not ask it out loud because it doesn't sound very nice in church, but you're going to ask the question, what good will that do? He's like, I'm glad you asked that question, or at least muttered it under your breath, because I'll tell you what good it will do, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's like, that's what it'll do. What good will it do? Tons of good. Notice the word and. So he says, make your request known to God. And, in other words, there's a link here, a vital link between the exhortation to pray and then what will happen, what you can expect, what you'll anticipate when you pray. It comes, it lands on us here as a, as a promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's assurance there. There's, there's a promise there. A promise we can count on. What's the promise? It's the promise of the peace of God. You see that phrase? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. By bringing our anxieties to God in prayer, we experience peace from him. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say when you pray, your problems will go away. Certainly doesn't say that life will be easy. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So we can expect it. We can anticipate it. We, we certainly, he doesn't promise that the threat will disappear or that there'll be no more uncertainty or that the instability will be resolved. I mean, in his own situation, Paul was writing from prison. He's still in prison, praying faithfully, still there in jail. The Philippians, they were still going to probably face external opposition. They'd still be dealing with internal dissension. They'd still be dealing with false teaching. The, the, the sources of anxiety are not necessarily going to go away. But what is going to change is something in your heart and in your mind. Namely, you will experience, you will experience the peace of God. Three qualities about this peace of God. First, it guards our hearts. It guards our hearts. You notice that in the text? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Now, our hearts are the location of our feelings, our affections and joys. Now, when we face anxiety, the issue is often right here in our hearts, being anxious. Remember, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. 
He, knew, he knows that when we get anxious, there's turmoil inside of us in our hearts. Not our physical heart that's pumping and beating and pushing blood through right now. The trouble's not like in there, but it's in your heart, in the seat of your emotions, inside of you. And what happens to our hearts when we're anxious is sometimes we become, we become angry. Like we, we resent the people who are the source of anxiety. Sometimes we, re, we get bitter with God because he's allowed it to happen. But when we get the peace of God, it guards our hearts. It's like there's a sentry that, that stands in front of our hearts between us and the anxiety saying, well, you're not coming in here. The peace of God guards our hearts from being anger, from angry, from being bitter, from being doubtful and distant. Sometimes in our anxiety, like I said a few minutes ago, the strangest thing happens. What we need is to be closer to God, but our response is sometimes to draw away from him. But the peace of God, it guards our hearts. It guards our minds. So much of the battle against anxiety is a battle in my mind. But he says there's a peace that, that will guard you there. See, anxiety exercises the mind. When we're worried, and when we're fearful... Anxiety is starting to take over control. They move into our minds and set up camp and say, we're staying for a while. And they kind of take over and they take up more and more space in our minds. And we find ourselves like more and more constantly rolling it over and over in our minds, trying to find solutions, trying to find a way out, to find a way through, a way around. And in our worry, sometimes our minds, in looking for a way out from under this pain and pressure, will come up with devious, sinful plans to do it. Like... I've got it. If it's money I'm worried about, then I'll just lie on my income tax and that will alleviate my problem. Or if it's a product, if it's something I need, my neighbor never locks his shed. I just go down there and take it. And there'll be no problem then. Then my, my anxieties will be alleviated. Or sometimes we're like, I know what I'll do. This person's giving me a problem. I'm going to set them up to fail. I'm going to slander them. I'm going to spread gossip about them and just see how, they, see how they like not sleeping at night. And then it's sort of, we, our minds can get like that. We can devise devious plans, sinful, unfaithful ways of dealing with our anxieties. But when the peace of God comes in, it's a sentry. It's a guard on our minds to, to keep us faithful to the Lord through the pressures and through the pain. The peace of God guards us from acting unfaithfully under duress. It guards our hearts. It guards our minds. It, listen, it surpasses understanding. It surpasses understanding. You see that in verse um, four, uh, seven? The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like something that's unexpected. Like it exceeds what our thoughts can produce. We, we find a peace, a peace that comes from God that's, that's better than anything that we could come up with on our own, in our own minds, that ministers to our own hearts. You know, this is a text, understand, I want you to see at this point in the message, this is a text that is a provision from God to help us to do that which opens the door for us to experience the peace of God, namely to pray. In our anxiety, sometimes praying feels like an insurmountable mountain to climb. Just like, I know I should do it. In fact, there's a whole bunch of you just like, yeah, this is not, I'm not learning anything new today. The importance of prayer. But sometimes God will use a text like this and a sermon like this to give us like the push to say, now I'm going to pray. And help us not to just say I'm going to pray, but to pray. So like we were hanging out with some people last night. 
I had some friends last night, and, and uh, a friend of mine here was telling me a story about, about skydiving. And um, they're up in this plane, and there goes four of them that went, out, went skydiving. And uh, one member of the group lost their nerve at the door. So he's like, you know, you pay this money, and you're going up skydiving. They lost their nerve at the door. So there they are kind of at the door, and, and just like, oh, I don't think I can do it. I paid to do this. We're all up here doing this. The plane's flying around. I just, I just can't do it, which, by the way, I can totally relate to. The part I can't relate to is even conceiving of doing it in the first place, but that's besides the point. And so they kind of lose their nerve at the door, but the plane's circling and circling. Okay, like it's, it's, it's go time. Now, I don't even know. This is probably totally illegal. I don't know if you go to jail for this. I don't know. But I'm told that the, the guide for the group, one of the, one of the people that uh, works for this company, this, this poor girl, she's at the door. She's lost her nerve. And this person just comes up behind him and just shoves her out the door. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, as, as sure as you're sitting there thinking, that's a cruel thing to do, I think to myself, that's what you get for signing up to do something like that. I'm sorry. I ain't ever jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. If the thing's going down, I will, I will ponder it, okay? <laughs> What's the point? What is Paul doing here? He's showing us the promise. And the promise is more than just a carrot. Say, come on, come on, pray. It's also a push. To say, listen, listen, the door is open for you. You are welcomed into the throne room of grace in Christ, which means you have help from God and are in your time of need to come to him. So come to him and, and talk to him about it. For some of us this morning, for you to see, for you to see, this is the step that stands in the way of you having that peace that you long for, that God will give you, if you would start to talk to him about it. Take that worry that you, you, we don't have to work at worrying, do we? That comes easily. So take some intentionality and take that worrying. Instead of just talking to yourself through it, just talk to God through it. Say, God, here it is. Just put, say, God, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's, here's the strategies I'm trying to come up with. Talk to him about it. Go to him with it. And what does Paul say will happen? There's a promise here. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The challenge that you and I have so often is we neglect the greatness of this promise, preferring, as it were, to stew in our own juices without grace that's available to us. There's a famous hymn writer who uh, died many, many years ago, um, but he was, he's buried just outside of my hometown of Peterborough, Ontario. Go, Pete's go. And right outside of uh, Peterborough, about 10 minutes or so outside of the city, uh, you just go down this that little two-lane highway, and then you turn left down a country road in a little place called Baileyboro. You turn left down a country road, and then you turn left down an even more country road. And there you come to a little cemetery. It's actually kind of a little family cemetery. And this hymn writer was a close friend of the family. And he's buried there in that cemetery. His name is Joseph Scriven. And Joseph Scriven, if that name rings a bell, it's probably because you know or have heard the famous hymn that he wrote called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And actually, I got a picture here of, his, uh, of his, where he's buried there. It's up there. I took this picture myself, by the way. Photo cred, me. <laughs> the snow, I was climbing through a big snowbank in the middle of winter. But I determined many, many times I thought to myself, I know he's buried like, right close to where I grew up. I'm like, I, I gotta go find this. So one day I'm just like, I Google this. I did a whole little research thing, found out where it was and went and found it. And there I took a picture. I mean, it's not terribly exciting, but that's Joseph Scriven's buried there. Buried there. So if you're a geek like me, like this is just titillating stuff. You love it. 
Uh, this is a little morbid. Oh, there's me. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Scriven's hymn. This is the words he wrote. What a friend we have in Jesus. Listen. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying there is, there is grace for you. There is help for you. There is peace from God for you. Not that all your problems will go away, but a peace that's hard to explain, that surpasses understanding. Sometimes it will seem ridiculous that you have it in the midst of the darkness in which you're standing. But it's there, and it's real, and it's for you, and it's promised. But we don't lay hold of it because we don't pray. So the sermon is a push. I try, I try. Okay, go! Do it. Believers in dark situations ask for prayer often because this is what they want, this is what they need. Think of our dear brother, Pastor Tarasov, we've been praying for in Kiev. Praying, yes, for protection, praying for the gospel to go forward, but also praying for peace. Because that's what we need when times are troubled. We're praying that for the Langendoon family right now. Going through a tough time with a sick child. Yes, we pray for a breakthrough. We pray for healing, to be sure. But we also pray for peace, the peace of God in the face of fear and anxiety that is totally expected in this world. And why do we pray these things? Because we believe that there's a promise to count on that God will do this in answer to prayer. There is a problem to overcome, anxiety. You have anxiety? There is a plan for overcoming that anxiety, prayer. And there's a promise that we can count on. And that promise is the peace that comes from God. Now, before I close, I want to address two different kinds of people in the room. This won't cover everybody, but it'll cover a bunch of you. The first people, person I want to address is the person who's frustrated with me right now. Frustrated. Because you hear this sermon about anxiety, and you had this glimmer of hope at the beginning that you're going to find help to overcome your anxiety. And then I've told you that the Bible says what you need to do is pray. And you quietly say to yourself right now, Ross, you don't get it. I've tried that, and it doesn't work. I've been praying and praying and praying, and you said it's a promise? It's not working. And you're frustrated with me say a couple of things to you. First, there is more to be said about overcoming anxiety. This isn't the only thing. In fact, we'll see in the next paragraph, the next part of our series in Philippians, Paul's got something else to say about overcoming anxiety. So it's not the only thing. But I also want you to recognize it is a real thing, a God-given thing. And I want to ask you, as sincerely and I trust as humbly as I can, dear friend, who frustrated with me this morning, I want to ask you, have you really prayed? Have, have you prayed? Have you prayed persistently, specifically? Have you enlisted others to pray for you and with you? And not just pray for me over there, but 
Pray for me. Do it right here, right here with me now so I know that you'll do it and you won't forget because I need it. Like, have you, have you prayed? Have you? I would give to you this morning a very simple exercise for you to put this in motion. Get out a piece of paper and on that piece of paper, one of my pastoral encouragement to you would be to write down everything in your life right now that gives you anxiety. It's like, I'm going to need more than one page. Okay, find it, whatever. Full scrap, whatever, big, big, you know, poster, whatever. But start writing it all down. Anxious about my marriage, anxious about money, anxious about work, anxious about my children, anxious about what? What? Anxious about being anxious? Put it all down there. Now I want you to take, then I want you to take another piece of paper or a chalkboard or do it on your sidewalk, I don't care, wherever, but draw two circles. One small circle and one larger circle. What you're going to do with these two circles is you're going to review your list of things that are making you anxious. And in the small circle, I want you to write down the things that make you anxious that you can do something about today. Like I can, so maybe I'm anxious about my kids and their spiritual life. Well, here's something I can do today. I can come up with a plan for doing family devotions, or I can, I, I can, can make sure that I'm scheduling in my week here time, meaningful time just to, to spend with them, that I make sure that I'm home, or or maybe I'm going to set aside specific time to pray for them. Or, like, what, what are you going to do? When you look at your list of anxieties there, what, what are the things that you can do today? Put that in the small circle. Here's my little to-do list. Here's what I'm going to do. But then in the bigger circle, and notice one is small, one is big. In the bigger circle, I want you to write down the anxieties that you know you can't fix. That you're limited in your ability to do anything about that's going to have to be a God thing if it's going to be anything. And that is your prayer list of what you will take to God in prayer. So maybe, it is, again, it's your kids and your concern for their spiritual life. Listen, parent, parent, whether your kid is a child, a teenager, an adult, you cannot save your kids. You can't. God can. And so you put that one in the big circle. You pray for them, for their salvation. You pray for them that, that they would gravitate toward good influences in their life. You pray for them that God would protect their minds and their hearts. You pray for them that God would open their eyes and see the truth. You see what I mean? These are things you can't do. You can't do those things. But God can. And so you take those things to God. That big circle is your prayer list. This is, this is God. This is, God has got to be you. This is your supplication. God, please do this. Small circle, what I can do. Big circle, the things that are not in my control. So you bring it to the Lord. If you're frustrated with me, have you really prayed? I would challenge you to take steps, a step like that, even today, and pray. Finally, the other group of people I want to address are those who are hearing this and saying, this is something I could use in my life but you have yet to enter into a saving relationship with God. I just address you specifically because it's important for you to understand that experiencing the peace of God starts with having peace with God. You see, sin, which we all have, makes us enemies of God. And that sin has to be dealt with if we're going to experience any peace from God. 
But the good news we've sung about this morning is that that's why Jesus came. Jesus died to pay for your sins so that your sins can be removed and you can enter into a saving relationship with God where you have peace with him. And that peace with him is the whole foundation to experiencing peace from him. And my invitation to you today, would you, would you come and find peace with God by looking away from yourself and trusting in Jesus? And actually, before the service today, I just put in my Bible a little pamphlet here called Steps to Peace with God. And I would love to give you one. If you're like, I think that's where I'm at right now. I think I need this peace with God that you're talking about. Or what is it you're talking about? I want to understand that better. I would love to give you this. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you're like, there's someone, I know someone that this is a conversation we've been having or are going to have. I would love that. I would love to get this in your hands so that you can learn about and share about having peace with God. Will you come to him to have that peace? Because in that peace relationship with God, that's where you will experience his peace. So it seems to me now that the best thing I could do after a sermon about says that to pray is that we would pray and take these things to the Lord. I want to give you a moment right now to get your list started. What is one thing, dear friend, that you're anxious about today? Well, you right now, right where you are, take that to the Lord in prayer. Right here, right now. Lord, I'm anxious about my work situation. I'm anxious about an unknown outcome. I'm anxious about a health crisis in me, in a loved one. I'm worried about how I'm going to make it through this emotional or physical mountain in front of me. I'm fearful, Lord, for my children and the decisions they're making. Father, I'm in a marriage right now. We don't understand each other, and I don't see a way through. What is it, dear friend? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to pray. And that as we do, that you would bring to us this peace from you that we've been reading about. Lord, we need it and we want it and we seek you for it, Lord. We ask for much, much grace. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that knows and experiences your peace, even this week, Lord God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.